and welcome to Studying the Steps, where we take a deeper dive into the 12 steps. In each episode, an alcoholic woman in recovery helps us study individual steps as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Through her personal experience and knowledge of working the program, she gives insight on how to apply and practice the spiritual principles being studied. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at MagdalenHouse.org. Please note, the curriculum we teach through our programs at Maggie's is from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. However, we are not an Alcoholics Anonymous group, and we are not associated with AA. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Lisa, for, for joining us. And I'm going to just turn it over, over to you. So, thanks. Sure. Thank you, Stephanie. All right. My name is Lisa Kroenke, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. What we've been talking about for the last week and for a couple of week, more weeks to come is the inventory, the fourth step inventory. And so um, last week we did a little talk about, for me, what I thought the inventory was going to be. And here I go, it, young and sobriety reasoning with my the mind that's trying to kill me. And I thought it was very different than what it actually was, but it doesn't matter how I feel about it because the beautiful thing is we have instructions from, from a big book and the big book can tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do. And then what happens, which is so beautiful is that later on, I can start to see how these things, resentment, fear, and this sex harms kind of category that the inventory start to manifest themselves in my life. I don't have to see it um, when I'm actually taking the, the um, action of doing the fourth step. So if you're confused about, or at least I was, I was confused why resentment had anything to do with my drinking, why fear had anything to do with the drinking, and for sure why me harming other people had anything to do or the perception of harming other people had anything to do with my drinking, I thought was, was absolutely crazy, but I didn't have any other choices. There was no third door for me. I don't know if you guys, you know, I think the only reason I really got into my inventory and specifically followed directions is because I was very close to my last drink and I was really desperate it's not that I didn't believe the, the, the woman and these women, especially at Maggie's who were telling me what, what, what this was all about. It, it's just that I was in fear of everything. I didn't know it at the time. I thought I was just being, it was my ego for sure, but I thought I was just being smart. Like, I don't understand what they're talking about. But the cool thing about it is the longer I live in recovery, the longer or the more I see fear drives almost every decision that I make still to this day. It's not resentment. Resentment's born out of fear. And that was such a hard, big concept. It's like spirituality 301. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So that's really one of the reasons that Maggie's, if you guys ever wonder why we really don't go over the fourth step or we don't talk about four through 12 a lot is because some of these principles are 
are hard to get. It's literally like we have to keep it simple, especially in the first 14 days of recovery, because you literally have to, for me, I, I was vibrating and my mind, was, my brain was not working. We have to keep it so simple that it's very easy to follow the directions in the book at that point. But now the beautiful thing about Next Step is the vision for Next Step is that we would get deeper into the work and the one thing I want to qualify and say is the longer I'm in recovery, the less I understand it. It's not that my understanding grows. My understanding doesn't, my, my interest grows, my curiosity grows. But the greatest thing about it is because if I understand it so well, I'm not going to need God. So it's cool because I can say, oh, I see that. I'm curious. That's my experience. I need to lean more into God because I am driven by fear. So that's like a high, that's like a bigger, it was a hard principle for me to grasp. Um, but it was really crucial for me to see that, um, that I think that I know, and that's a problem. The longer I'm in it, the less I know, which is really cool for continued learning and also humility. So um, what I'd love to do is I'm going to talk about some principles here, just like I did, the principle of humility, the principle of being able to ask for help and the, of what all the things that we just talked about, or I just talked about, we didn't. I want you guys to interrupt me or stop me and ask me questions at any point in this, because we're going to get into some big, it's like Caroline blows my mind every time I listen to her because she's so, she just has such a. A, an incredible different grasp on all these principles, but sometimes it's hard um, for me to follow. I'm just not as smart as she is. So if you guys have anything that you don't understand, this is the time. That's what's so beautiful about Next Step and these smaller pods of getting together and talking about this stuff, because you can definitely ask your sponsor. You should always go to your sponsor, but you can even take stuff that we're talking about here. I'm talking about here and take it to your sponsor and say, you know, this chick named Lisa said something. I don't understand what she's talking about. Or we can talk about it here. And then you can talk to your sponsor too, because we're not taking the place of sponsorship here at Next Step. We're just talking about principles and how our experience has grown from those, or principles have grown from our experience. Okay, so now we're going to start talking about the fear and we're going to get into the book. And um, fear starts on page 67. But before we get into the big book, are there any things that you guys have questions about before we get into the work or like fourth step, like intro to the fourth step or anything like that before we start. All right. So let's go to the book on page 67. If we remember last week, we talked about how there's a weird, not weird, but it's kind of an odd placement here for a resentment prayer or sick man's prayer. We call it. I don't like to call it the resentment prayer because I think this prayer is for every inventory that we do, but it's really crucial that we get prayed up, that we're always praying. I mean, it's going to be instrumental in almost every, the, to do before every action that we take, especially when we get to the amends process, prayer before every amends is crucial. I pray before I do a fifth step with a woman. I pray when we do, obviously, the third step. When women call me to 10th step, I ask if they prayed first. Because remember, this is a God help program. It's not a sponsor help program. And we, it's really easy to get too reliant upon our sponsors. And that's why 
I always go to the book and read the book because your sponsor may not be there. You may not be able to catch a meeting, but the book is always going to be by your side, by my side with God. So pray it up and then refer to the book if you can't talk to your sponsor. All right. So this prayer is right here in the middle of page 67. So we're going to refer back to that as we're doing some of this inventory work in fear. But at the bottom of the page, it says, notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches every aspect, about every aspect of our lives. It's an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we, did, we felt we didn't deserve. Before I go on, because this next sentence is very uh, important, I wanted to say um, I thought it was about fear of spiders. I literally thought that it was about fear of heights and fear. I didn't understand what the word fear meant. And one of the great things I heard Myers Rammer say a long time ago was fear is literally about not getting what you want. And then so you're going to control the situation or you're afraid of losing what you have. And so I feel like I have to step in and control the situation because I'm choosing fear over discomfort. Like I'd rather, I, I'm, I'm, cho I'm choosing that fear. I'm, I'm going to react to it because I don't like to feel uncomfortable. Not being in control makes me uncomfortable. I didn't see any of that. And you don't even have to see it at this point, but it's cool how they talk about literally what truly fear is about. And it's not about what I thought it was about. Lisa, okay. sorry to interrupt you. Um, no, go ahead. I liked it, Mindy, please. Did, did you say that fear was about not getting what we want or losing something that we, will you just say that again, please? Yes. Usually fear is not getting what we want. So I feel like I have to step in and control the situation. Okay. Or losing something that I have relationship with my kids. So I had a sponsor one time tell me, you need to keep your hands in the canoe. What that means is I'm on a canoe and I'm in a river. God is directing my canoe. But if I put my hand out, I'm going to take a right turn. I put my left, I'm going to take a left. So keeping my hands in the canoe and not controlling the situation it's not my wanting to control that's bad is me not being able to be self-aware that I'm in the middle of doing it. So what this inventory is helping us see is when I'm beginning to react in fear, what fear really looks like. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. Oh, sure. Um, okay. This is a huge sentence right here, but did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? I'm like, what? No, they set the ball rolling. I didn't. All right. This is another really, this is one of my favorite lines when it, we're talking about fear. Sometimes we think that fear ought to be classified with ceiling. It seems to cause more trouble. I never understood what that meant. Like fear and stealing. Okay. Think about it like this. Fear steals my time. If I'm obsessed of how I'm going to get my relationship back with my kids, or if I'm obsessed with how I'm going to keep this job without anybody finding out that I'm a drink, that I'm drinking, think how much time fear is stealing from me and my family and the people I love and my work, because I'm constantly in my head and I'm in fear. Fear steals time. 
it's huge. All right. The, the greatest, very simplistic illustration of that is I can't tell you guys how much time I spent in fear that somebody was going to find out how much I drank, whether it was putting my wine bottles in in trash cans down the alley or whether it was trying to figure out which you know gas station or convenience store to go to that they wouldn't know I was an alcoholic. I was always in fear that someone was going to go on, get on to me. Think about how much time I wasted be, just being in fear of that one simple concept. It literally led my entire life. All right. We reviewed our uh, fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment and connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us had once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. And when it made us cocky, it was worse. On my inventory, I had literally fear of being married to Dave, fear of Dave leaving me, fear of drinking, Fear of not being able to drink, fear of my kids hating me, fear of my kids loving me because I, you know, it literally, it, it literally was, you. it was crazy that I put it all down on paper, but that's all about me and self trying to control the situation. That will come more in the fifth step, which we're going to talk about. But I started to see these. That's the beautiful thing about inventories is once you're starting to write this stuff down, that's why it's so important to write it down is you start to see how these things are manifesting, or at least I did. And I started to see that I really felt more comfortable relying on self because it was the known rather than relying on God, which is the unknown. I started to see that it was really about me having lack of faith because literally, you guys, that's, that's, that's all fear is, is lack of faith. I have lack of faith that God's got a better plan. I have to interject my own plan because I'm in fear that God's plan is not going to get my needs met. It's fear. And if you've heard me, I've heard this, I've said, I've said a hundred because I love, I was taught that fear is lack of faith. This is the self-reliance is the opposite of faith. The other thing too, is when it made us cocky, it was worse. Have you ever said, oh, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. You guys, it wasn't that bad. My, you guys are blowing out of proportion. Everybody was drunk at that party. I've said that about a hundred times. That's a fear driven statement that looks cocky, but it's actually the more cocky I am, that means the more insecure I am. You know, so that's literally, that was a fear driven statement trying to downplay and sweep it under the rug because I didn't want anyone to know that I was literally dying inside because if I, if people knew that meant I had to quit drinking. So I posed out this, you know, I've got all my shit together. You guys are the problem. Okay. That's the cocky thing for me, at least. Um, okay. This is a great paragraph. Perhaps there's a better way. We think so. For now, we are on a different basis. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. That goes exactly back to the principle that I was talking about before of self-reliance. Depending upon God. It's so much, it opens up the whole world of possibilities. Me, depending on my finite self, is very narrow. And we're going to talk, there, the book talks a lot about God and his bigger plans and my finite plans. This is another version of that. 
uh, we are in the world to play the role he assigns. This is a huge sentence. Just to the extent that we do as he is, as we think he would have us, we humbly rely upon him. And does he enable to match to enable us to match calamity with serenity? Okay, a couple of things. To the extent that we do what we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable to uh, to match calamity with serenity? Is a huge statement because just to the extent it's like the more I give, the more I get. Just to the extent that I'm going to say, you know what, I'm gonna put my hands in the canoe, and the result of that is I get more back. The the plan that God laid out, which I may not like in the beginning, is better than anything I could have come up with myself. Self-reliance failed me because I think I know, right? That's all fear. And I don't. I, I've had the experience that um, even though I don't like his, the plan in the beginning, it's always turned out for the better. That's me fear of not knowing the outcome. Martin Luther King said it so beautifully. Fear is literally, you have this black doorway. You have this doorway. You have no idea what's on the other side. And you see one step. You don't know if it's going up or if it's going down. And MLK said it. You step through that doorway, not knowing where you're going to go because you have no choice. You've got dogs barking. You're going to kill you on the other side. Do you hesitate? I don't know if I'm going to step through. I don't know what's on the other side. No, you step through the damn door because you're going to die if you don't. You don't care what's on the other side. That's fear. You're, you have the courage to take the steps, right? Because alcohol is killing you and it was beating me to a pulp. So I stepped through the door of fear and not knowing what, like literally I took the step. That's the first step of fear. The courage is not, not having the fear. Courage is doing it even though you have the fear, taking the action. And just to the extent that we do that, do we get so much more in return? Now, I had to have the experience before I believe that. And I literally feel like God personifies himself in women who sit before me, who are, who are still active in their alcoholism, who want to stop. Because I literally, can, you can see the fear once you start helping women you can see the fear start to lift. And it's this, the coolest thing. So it's really not about my own experience. It's about me watching another woman step through her fear. And I start to see that. It literally happens in another woman. Match calamity with serenity. You guys, I, I mean, I got divorced two years into my recovery. This whole past year, my husband's entire company has blown up in the last three weeks. I don't know if, I mean, I don't think Dave's going to have a job. Like we just built this new house and I'm like, what? I mean, I have to sell it. So what, thank God I have this foundation because what it's, it's taught me is that it's is not about me. What I, this calamity uh, with serenity is literally about so that I can be serene and calm so that I can help Dave. As long as I'm sitting in my fear, oh my gosh, my house, what are we going to do? Dave doesn't have a job. I'm going to be, but when I start to pray about it and I think, how can I fit myself to support Dave? It, it, I get it. I start to understand that it's not about me and that do I like the plan? No, I really like my new house. <laughs>
but I just don't know. And I can look at Dave in the eye and say, it's going to be better on the other side, no matter what happens. The problems don't go away. This fear, which I have in spades right now, enables me to match this calamity with serenity. The fear does that because once I recognize I have the fear, I have a toolkit. I have a sponsor. Okay. This next one is a really great paragraph too. We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Good God. (laughs) Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. I'm going to stop right there. This is what I can do for my husband. I can bear witness. I'm in fear and he knows I'm in fear. But what I can do is we can pray together, which we've been doing a lot lately. And this has helped us grow as a couple. We can look at things that in gratitude, like fear has brought us closer together. I'm not afraid of fear like I used to be. I had to identify what fear really is. And it's just lack of faith. And so this huge thing about instead we let him demonstrate, this is not Lisa right now. (laughs) I am a drama queen. I could run around the house right now with Chicken Little. Or I can let God demonstrate by prayer, by using my tools, God demonstrates his omnipotence through me. We can be the vessels. This is not me. As according to step seven, I can never take the accolades for all the calm, you know, demeanor I have now, because that's not me. I'm a drunk. I like the attention. I like the drama. Dave losing his job. I can make it about me in two seconds, you know, because it's all fear based stuff. All right. We ask him to remove our fear. This is the fear prayer, you guys. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be at once. We commence to outgrow fear. It doesn't say fear is going to go away. It's just that out, I'm outgrowing the negative impact that fear has on me because I'm using the toolkit. The feeling is there. I have an actionable toolkit that I can use, thank God, so that I don't have to live in this thing that steals all of my time from me and my family and from Dave and from everyone around me and the women I sponsor. I can use this experience is in fear and resentment, or I can use this experience to grow in gratitude. I have to recognize it, find it objectionable, and write it down on a piece of paper. I've done an inventory on this particular moment in my life, which is so weird that we're talking about fear today, because if I'm not careful, I can be driven by fear all the time. All right, so make sure you underline the fear prayer because it's really important because that requires action. And um, just I have a quick question. Yeah. So um, I don't know how often if you go once a year, whatever, through your four step or go through the steps, but I will be coming up. I'm doing my four step as starting Friday and it'll be my third time. And the first time I bet I had like 200 things on there because I feared everything. And then going through the steps the second time, I had 
learn some principles. And then now I'm actually living it. I'm in a whole different, thank God for this program. So my fear inventory, like each time you do it, did you notice that your fears were lessened or was, was your experience different each time you do it? Because like I have principles now before I get to fear inventory that don't keep me there. Like the first time was a mess. Does that make sense? Okay. It does. Okay. So I just want to go back for, this isn't the way I'm sponsored. And so everybody is sponsored, not everybody's sponsored differently, but there's different ways to approach the inventory. The reason why I'm, I've done a couple of inventories with my mom. It's usually on specific topics. I don't just go through an inventory just to go through an inventory. What it means for me is that I haven't been 10 stepping properly. That's why I have to go through an inventory. It's, okay. it's because it, it directly affects my, from my 10th step. If I literally 10 stepping over the same thing, fear day, fear, I'm not helping day. Blah, blah. Cindy will go, you know what? You're not getting something here. Your 10th step, it, you're, you're, you're not getting something. There's something that's blocking you that you're not seeing. You don't find it objectionable. And so she will literally have me do an inventory, but I don't do inventories just to do inventories. I, I don't do that. So my fear is literally very specific about a topic. Now, especially for my mother, when I was doing my fear inventory, a fear of my sister came up on that inventory. And I really think that was key to it, that I was afraid of my relationship, whatever. So I can't really answer your question because I don't do a global inventory like I know a lot of people do, but I've never done that before. I've only done supplemental inventories because I haven't been 10 stepping properly. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. It does actually answer it. Thank you. Welcome. I have one more question and I've talked to my, I'm going to, I've talked to my sponsor about this, but um, so the fear prayer, we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. I am literally in I recognize that I'm in fear. I'm in, I am dreading making amends to my, to my aunt Wendy. I, I, I am literally like, I, I think that maybe I should just leave her alone. Does that mean, I mean, does what that step mean, are you on? I, I'm on step, maybe. I'm on step nine. Oh, you are? Yeah. Okay. So that's lack of faith because you think you know what the outcome is going to be. So you don't want to do it. Yeah. That's arrogance too. Okay. Because you think you know what the outcome is, and you don't have faith that God's got a better, even if she yells at you and tells you that you're a piece of trash and blah, blah, you've done your job. Why are you so afraid of what she's going to say? Because it's not afraid of the action. You're afraid of what she's going to say. And that's lack of faith. I mean, that's for me, it was my mints with my mom. And it went as bad as I thought it was going to go. And she wrote me a follow-up email just so I would have it in writing. Okay. So this is, it's lack of faith and I just need to talk to God. And now, you know, I'm like, Hey, I talked to Lisa today and I, it's lack of faith. So here I am, you know, and then when I do this, this is an action program. Like you said, like this is act taking action, going and doing it and trusting God, even though I'm scared, that's going to build my relationship with God. Correct. Yes. It's it okay will. to admit that I have lack of faith, like that I'm scared. Yes. 
God already knows that. You think you're telling him or her something that he doesn't know? <laughs> Doubt <laughs> is good. Doubt is good. Why would we say, oh, I, I am sure. Nobody's 100% sure. Doubt's there on purpose to get us closer in relationship. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We're going to doubt all the time. We're supposed to. Lisa, I have a question. Yeah. Maybe Absolutely. it's a, a comment. I also just want the women to know that just because you're sober for a, a hot minute doesn't mean that you're not afraid <laughs> because I was oh. very, <laughs> very fear driven and it's almost sometimes not worse, but I can see when I'm in it and I can see how every ounce of me wants to get in and control the situation. And I feel like the hardest thing for me to do when I'm in fear is to pause (laughs) and not jump in and try to fix and control and manage the situation. Um, So I just have a question is like, do you have fear that comes up today? um, And what would you say to me or someone else who also um, recognizes when they're in fear and it's like freaking cutting teeth to try to get myself to pause. Like- okay. So <laughs> I, I don't know if you heard me earlier, but I said, I talked to everybody. I'm living in fear every single day right now mm-hmm. because I'm afraid of losing my house. I'm afraid of Dave losing his job. I'm living in fear. It's literally where I am in my life right now. And thank God that I've got this foundation with a toolkit that I've been doing for quite a while that I just rely on the toolkit and it makes me human. It, you know, I, I pause for sure. And I pray, I recognize it. it it's not that I'm, I'm in doubt for sure. It's with when agitated or doubtful and, and I, I see it and I, I definitely pause and pray. But the beautiful thing is I find it objectionable. I don't like fear anymore. It's like, I can see it and I don't like it. It's not good for me. It's not good for day. It's not good for anyone around me, the women I sponsor. Um, and so I'm not afraid of being in fear. I just am afraid I'm not going to recognize it or I'm not going to find it objectionable. That's the whole thing is I can't determine sometimes when I'm in self-reliance or where I'm in God reliance. And that's when my sponsor helps me to see that. I love that um, objectionable thing. Thank you for, for saying mm-hmm. that. You're welcome. Because that's the whole part of step 10. That's how this fourth and fifth step relates to step 10. Because it says, continue to watch for fear, selfishness, honesty, and resentment. I can watch and I can see that I'm in fear all the time. If that's, not, that's not the point. That's not the end result. It's not just to see it. I have to find it objectionable. That's where six and seven come in. Six. I can see that I've got these things that are blocking me. I can see them. That's what step six is. And seven, I have to find them objectionable and ask God to remove them so I can fit myself. It's not enough just to see the fear. I have to be willing to let it go and not run the show. I know a plan. I know God's plan. And I'm like, I know that Dave should keep his job because I love this house and we just built it. It doesn't make any sense, right? Anyway, go ahead. Enough about me. If you or someone you know is a woman who wants to grow in her recovery, join our three-month non-residential program. Next Step offers community, structure, and accountability to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. 
Every Next Step Assignment and Accountability Group helps alcoholic women to stay sober and thrive in her recovery. We have in-person and virtual options available to help women near and far. Please call 214-764-0793, extension 500, to complete your phone screening to see if you qualify. So, so Lisa, the question. So, yeah, I, I love, I love, I love this because you know it's like, okay, well, how do I know what's me or when it's God, right? And so, what I hear you saying is, is one notice, right? We have to notice ourselves, and you know, am I trying to control? And if I'm, if I'm probably uncomfortable, or I'm not liking something, I'm probably in fear, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if so, so one noticing I'm in fear, and my flags are not liking something or fighting it or pushing or right. Yes. Resentment. See the resentment there, how it ties into fear. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then finding it objectionable and then asking God. Okay. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Resentment's usually about fear. Think about that. It's really important for you guys to know that you never grow out of this program. You never like, oh, so I've hit a milestone. I'm not going to be in fear anymore. <laughs> That's not the point. I'm inspired by women who are transparent and authentic. And I think that the more transparent that we are, the more that we see how raw we are and the more that we see we're all still driven by fear. All of us. People don't like us. We want people to like us. We, we do things based um, to manipulate to get our ways because we're just so afraid that people are, you know, my kids or whoever it is, or I'm not going to get what I want. Um, my sponsor always says, choose discomfort over resentment, choose discomfort over fear. And I don't like that. Anybody have any other questions? I don't have a question, Lisa, but I want to thank you. Um, you know, I understand you're going through, I, I don't understand what you're going through, but I, 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 I'll be praying for you. And uh, I personally really appreciate this 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 morning because uh yeah i learned a lot very uh very grateful for it lisa i have a question um so i know like i have experience from being sober for a little bit that shows that god shows up however whenever i got here i did not have that experience this idea of of trusting god was very foreign to me Mm -hmm. Um, understand it what Mm -hmm. would you say to someone who is very new to this new principled life who doesn't have their experience yet of God showing up okay so this might sound real harsh and sometimes I can sound very harsh right go drink some more alcohol is a great persuader there's nothing that I can say in we agnostics or you know, in the fourth, that's going to get you motivated to rely on God of my understanding. It's like, it was a foreign concept and it was weird. My grandparents took me to church of Christ, which I don't know if you know about that religion, but it's very, very volatile and hellfire and damn it, at least back where the church that we went to, I don't know about the religion as a whole. And I thought the God idea was, I was not going to do it. Right. But I tell you what, you know, it got me teachable. What got me just like to not think about it and to not focus on it anymore and got me open-minded 
alcohol. That's why it, we have to go through this work. We only have a week or a month because alcohol is a great persuader. And so I wish there were words that I could say to get you, to motivate you, to listen, to get, to, to be open-minded to the God idea or it's because it's foreign, but there are no words because alcohol is a great persuader. And that sounds so harsh, right? Like, I wish there was some beautiful thing I could say that you could go, oh, yes, God, that's, that's, I want to be, you know, I want to follow God's path and I want to be a woman of integrity. For me, it was alcohol. There was no human. If my kids can't get me open-minded about God, there's no human that can. Does that help, Stephanie? Sure. Thank you. <laughs> it's really harsh, but. Uh, Stephanie, I want to, can I make a comment on that? Yes. Like Lisa was saying, like, there's nothing that you can really say, but I'm going to share my experience with it. Just like the, I'm not going to drink 24 hours a day, if that's all you can do, hour a day, whatever. When it came to God, and I am very, uh, Cindy's my sponsor too, she'll tell you this, I am like so self-reliant. As soon as one little thing starts to go wrong, I'm like, woo, jumping right in there. And what I started to do was it's, it's so exhausting to plan everything and to try to figure out what's going to happen in the future and to all of that. And it was such a huge, huge relief to say, I'm not going to worry about this. But I had a hard time saying, I'm not going to worry about this for the next week, or I'm not going to worry about this forever. I'm going to turn it over to God. I'm just not going to think it was hard. So every day, I'm like, today, I'm just not going to worry about it. God's got this. I'm not going to worry about it and go about your day. And I found it a lot easier to break it into small increments of time. And pretty soon, I just wasn't thinking about it as much. That's not to say that I don't still have the fear and I still try to jump back in it. But it was a lot easier for me to say it was it was actually just a huge relief. I mean, who wouldn't love to just turn everything over and just to not have to worry for a period of time. And it was just a huge relief to me to, to do that. And eventually it just started getting a little easier and easier. Thanks, Susie. I have a question. What you said is just, it's awesome. Makes perfect sense, right? So like, for example, like in your case, so you know, you have an idea of what's gonna happen or maybe happening. Do you just do nothing? I mean, other than pray, right? And let it, or do you, Start no. cutting back on your budget. Do you, you start looking for another <laughs> job? I mean, what's that? Where's that balance in there? Of how, how do you do that? Oh, I, it's not that I don't do nothing. I, there's a lot of things that I can do, and I do. I just have to ascertain what I can control and what I need to give to to God. What I can control. So, faith and preparation equals God's plan. I heard that one time, and I will remember that for the rest of my life. So. I have to prepare, right? I have to prepare what I can do as a human being. That's like the serenity prayer. What can I do, right? And yep. then faith, which is the things I cannot control, right? Equals God's plan. So there are things that I can do for sure. They're not fear-based. They're actionable items. But you know what the biggest thing for a woman in recovery, all those things are for women or men or whoever, Just that's for everyone. I can go help another alcoholic. That's what I do. That's what I, that's my toolkit. It's the number one thing. It doesn't matter about the budgets. If I'm not spiritually fit, 
So page 14 and 15, tell me exactly how I can stay spiritually fit. That's the most important thing. The budgets, what the, you know, what I do to help Dave and all the other stuff. It won't matter if I'm spiritually sick. So I ha it's incumbent upon me to do what page 89 says, to do what page 14 and 15. I have to help another alcoholic. It's like on the airplane, right? When they say it's, it's they tell you put the oxygen on the person next, put the oxygen on. Okay, got it. Put it, put it on you first. Yeah, right. Put it on you first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's not so that I can save myself. It's so I can save you. Yeah. It's so that I can be there for the person who needs me. So that that's how I'm going to get out of self. If I'm trying to trying to do the budgets and trying to do this and trying to do that, that's self-reliance. Yeah. So I get out and I do that. Lisa, can you please um, tell the group what you're talking about on page 14 and 15? Yes. So at the bottom of page 14, so this is Bill's 12th step. In the fourth step, I mean, I'm sorry, in the 10th step on page 85, it says, so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition, right? It is a promise of the 10th step, uh, promises, but there's a caveat there. There's a condition so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So the question is, how do I keep in fit spiritual condition? Well, it tells me right on, at the bottom of page 14 and 15, which is, you know, I've got so many favorite pages, but this is, this is a beautiful thing. This is about Bill's story. Third day he was in the hospital, he woke up and two weeks before he was trying to get Ebby drunk, right? <laughs> Now he's laying in the hospital. He wakes up one morning and he wants to help other people. Do you think that was Bill? Do you think he had this divine? No, 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 no. God consciousness from within. So he's remembering what Ebby told him when Ebby visited him at the hospital. And this is what he said. While lay in the hospital, the thought came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what was so freely given to me. Perhaps I could help some of them. They, in turn, might work with others. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he'd worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how poignantly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through what? Work and self-sacrifice for others. That's how we enlarge our spiritual life. He could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. Okay, Stephanie, you are brilliant because I'm going to read the second paragraph because it directly relates to fear. This is so weird that you saw. Okay, listen to this, you guys. My wife and I abandoned ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping other alcoholics as a solution to their problems. It was fortunate for my old business associates remained skeptical for a year and a half during which I found little work. I was not too well at the time, and I was plagued with waves of self-pity and resentment. This nearly drove me to drink, had I not, had, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Many times I should cry. I needed to read this, Stephanie. Many times I've gone to my old hospital in despair. Sometimes I feel like that's what Maggie's is for me, for sure. On talking to a man there, I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. It is a design for living that works in rough going. So what Bill's saying there is that he didn't have a job for a year and a half, and he was grateful that he didn't have a job because it gave him more time to work with alcoholics. 
that's not Bill is a businessman, wouldn't think of that on his own, right? He would be in fear. He turned that fear into gratitude, went right straight through resentment all the way to gratitude. But do you see how the fear can turn into resentment? I'm pissed at the world because I don't have a job. And he went right through and turned it to gratitude because he's recovered. That's what we can do. It's a miracle. I have a question or a statement. I don't know. Okay. So you're the first person since I've had a spiritual awakening and worked the steps as outlined in the book who has said, um, you know, fear you believe is the number one um, reason we go back out. Now, I, you know, as instead of, you know, enlarging my spiritual life, you know, I'm a Course in Miracles student and all those things, and I do believe that. But I guess it really isn't a but. I've had a lot of resentment. My, you know, fiance left me and there was just so much. And after doing my, you know, fist up and making amends, you know, that's still, it's still cropping up. It's still there. And continuing uh-huh. to do 10 steps, I had this huge aha moment. It was based out of fear. I was scared that God wasn't going to give to me what I wanted, which was, you know, the part of the relationship, which I wanted. And yes. I wasn't going to be able to find that in somebody else. Yes. But yes. there yes, is Christina. a part in that. Yes. There is the objectional part. So, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm praying to God, please remove it. I'm telling my sponsor and I'm going to be of service. Okay. But yes. it's the objectionable. I think I know what that means. Okay. But then there's a part of me that doesn't really know if I know what that means. Can you give an example or, you know, a clear cut definition, what objectionable means? Because, you know, I can see this all day long, right? Yeah. But until yep. I find that, it, it, it kind of becomes useless. Like I'm still going to be in that fear. I can turn it to gratitude and then it comes back, you know? So can you tell me yep. or tell yes. us, you know, objectionable? Because that's a yep. really big part. Okay. It's a great question. When I first, my husband first, um, he's downstairs and he can hear me because I remarried the same guy. So he knows about all this. When he first decided that he was going to leave, that he wanted to leave, he wanted a divorce. We separated for six months and I was so pissed. You guys, I was so mad. Like, what do you mean? I just got sober. I did all this work. We're building a, we're building our family back. And now you want to leave after all this and blah, 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 blah. I was pissed. Okay. Um, we came back, he came back, we decided to work through it about six months later, right? Six months. He tapped me on the shoulder. It was at the end of our master, right? The end of our bed and said, I'm leaving. I'm divorcing you. So we sat down with the lawyers the first time. and I was so pissed. The second time after I'd done a lot of work with my sponsor, I've done a lot of work in the book. I worked with people. The second time I wasn't, I wasn't irritated. I wasn't, it was the weirdest thing you guys, because see, I found that resentment towards him objectionable because it affected my children. It affected my children. And that was me being selfish and dishonest because see, I wasn't in resentment. I was dishonest because if I really looked at it, I was in fear. I was in fear that I was not going to be able to see my kids. I was going to lose my kids. I was not going to be able to spend as much time with my children. That, that this guy was not going to like me. That I was in fear that nobody else would want me. I found the fear objectionable. I didn't like that. I found the resentment 
very objectionable because I wanted to be, look, I had sex with this guy four times, right? There was a moment in time when I liked him <laughs> and he's the father of my children and the, my kids are half him. For me to yell, to me to bash him in front of my children is me bashing my kids. All of these things were pointed out to me at this step and I started to find the resentment objectionable. Did I find him objectionable? Absolutely. I still find him objectionable sometimes. The resentment is what I really found objectionable. I can't control him, but I can ask God to remove the resentment so that I can be calm. I can be the woman that I want that that God wants me to be. I can bear witness. I can just be a I hate to say disciple, but I people want what I have. You don't want what I have when I'm bitchy. You want what I have when I'm kind. My kids do too. I found that I thought it was resentment but it was fear, found it objectionable. I asked God to remove it. I did some work on it with God and my sponsor. And second time around, when we really got divorced, we were sitting in front of the lawyer's office and the the lawyer, one of the lawyers looked at Dave and me and said, you guys get along better than most married people I know. Why are you guys getting divorced? I mean, that's what happened to me, Kristen. I found it objectionable. Now, I still had the Thank you. Does that help? It does. <laughs> okay, good. I justified hating his guts because he cheated on me. That was all about me and my fear. What would people think? You know, that happened. That's why inventories are so beautiful and so horrible at the same time. Anything else, you guys? No, I don't know about anyone else, but I think this was... So great. And I needed to hear all of it this morning. So thank you so much. So did I. Awesome. You having me read that page in the book, Stephanie, was life changer for me today. Glad. Thank you. Yeah. We're all walking shoulder to shoulder, you guys. We're all doing the best that we can. We just have to remember that. There's no humility in a plan. (laughs) All right. Anything else? You're welcome, you guys. Y'all have a see you guys later. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.